This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin, and you've been listening to a 1983 ad for Radio Shack. After a long decline, that company recently filed for bankruptcy and announced plans to close more than 1,700 stores. As many music lovers know, Radio Shack was once the place to get speaker wire, those little adapters that connected everything to everything, or even a realistic brand stereo system. But how times have changed. Joining us with his analysis is Christopher Mims, the Wall Street Journal's technology columnist. Welcome. Thanks for having me. The title of your recent column was Radio Shack Suffered as Free Time Evaporated. So was this really about the decline of leisure time rather than the usual suspects like bad management decisions? Yeah, I think in the, in the case of Radio Shack, it was definitely both. I mean, the, the company was burning through CEOs near the end. But what I was trying to get at was what were the drivers of Radio Shack's problems going back decades? And, you know, when I started to analyze it, I found this old newspaper clip from the 60s when Charles Tandy bought Radio Shack. And he was talking about how, uh, you know, Americans have more leisure time than ever. And it was his business to fill that leisure time. And it was such a striking sentiment. It was unlike anything that you could imagine a CEO saying today. And, uh, you know, I went and looked at the numbers and it turns out that Americans have lost uh, the equivalent of a month worth of leisure time since the 1970s. Have we really lost it, or do we just all have our noses buried in screens? That's a good question. One thing that's for sure is we're all working more than a month more than we did in the 1970s. And so while there hasn't been a lot of scholarship on this, my own feeling is that the kind of leisure that we're engaging in has uh, shifted. You know, I mean, apps and uh, mobile devices are appealing because they let us snack during our leisure time. So what we're missing are those those big unbroken blocks of time that would allow somebody to be a hobbyist, to uh, learn a new skill, to repair something like a television or a car. Do you really think the primary culprit was the loss of leisure time rather than the internet making it easy to buy everything you want to buy? That's another good point. I mean, we definitely have this infinite catalog now of parts. But, you know, one piece of evidence here is that we still do have this cohort of hobbyists in America. Uh, they call themselves makers. Sometimes we refer to the maker movement. And, uh, you know, they're very active and they're still building with hardware. And, and obviously there's tons of people making software in their spare time. But um, it's a much smaller movement than what Radio Shack was able to tap into. I mean, back in the day, Radio Shack was distributing, uh, you know, pretty uh, pretty in-depth uh, guides to how to build things out of electronics, how to repair things. I mean, they were selling these books by the millions. And, you know, now you look at like Make Magazine, which is kind of the, the Bible of that whole movement. It only has a circulation of 125,000. So, you know, even though we have more access to parts than ever through the Internet, there's no evidence that any more people are engaged in this type of activity. And if anything, it seems like fewer people are. Well, is that maybe because these days it's harder to take things apart and that it's just not as attractive to tinkerers and hobbyists? There's no speaker wire with a Bluetooth connection. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. There, I, I have to say, I think that, that the uh, repairability of objects um, 
that the decline in repairability has really gone hand in hand with uh, our loss of time. I mean, you know, people could buy electronics that are more repairable. Um, and certainly uh, there are places in the world where people are more likely to crack open their electronics. But I think that there just isn't really a demand for it because who's going to do that in the first place? And Radio Shack probably isn't making the parts for them anyway. Yeah, that's absolutely true. We just don't have those kinds of markets for it. I mean, if you go to some place like, you know, uh, Shenzhen, which is a city in China where, uh, you know, all of our uh, smartphones these days are born. I mean, there are massive markets of parts and there's a huge community of people who are hacking with them and there's a lot of activity. You just don't have that in the West so much anymore. You wrote that the 1970s was Radio Shack's golden decade and that at one point they were opening three stores a week back then, but after CB radios and then personal computers, which they specialized in, were over their heyday, Radio Shack basically turned into a cell phone store. Now, was that the fatal decision? I think the fatal decision, I think it was a decision that they didn't really make or didn't understand the significance of at the time. It was really in the early 1980s, you know, Radio Shack at that time, people forget, was the equal of Apple computer. I mean, Radio Shack released its first personal computer the same year that Apple uh, incorporated, and it was called the TRS-80, and lots of hobbyists, you know, still remember it fondly. They made a mistake. Uh, the only software that could run on it initially was software that Radio Shack made. Then they got superseded by the IBM PC, which was, you know, more open in the sense that anybody could write pl uh, software for it. And pretty soon Radio Shack had to start making IBM compatible PCs. And that was the point that they made a turn from being a place for hobbyists to being a place that was really mostly making most of its money selling consumer goods. And so then, you know, over the coming years, yes, they turned to cell phones. But meanwhile, you know, the Internet happened, Amazon happened, Best Buy happened. And, you know, Radio Shack with its small stores couldn't compete as a retailer. Well, strictly from an audio standpoint, were the Radio Shack house brands ever that good? Or was it just a matter of convenience and that the stores were everywhere? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know that they're... Uh, goods were ever all that special. I mean, there was a very brief period at the birth of the IBM PC when Radio Shack offered to hobbyists a PC that was cheaper and more powerful than what IBM was selling. So they certainly had the engineering chops back then to do it. But, you know, a lot of their staples throughout the years were the kinds of things that, that people bought. And it didn't really matter if they were all that quality. Like, it's hard to remember now, but, you know, a big seller for them was a device that rewound VHS tapes, which, you know, is just impossibly archaic now. J&R here in New York closed its flagship store last year. So where do you go today to buy a part for your stereo or a blank CD when you want it now? Do you go to Best Buy or are they dying too? Yeah, Best Buy has its own issues. I think I think what's happened really is, you know, what store do you go to when you want a new device? You go to the app store on your phone. Somebody did this clever blog post a couple of years ago where they took an old Radio Shack ad from the 80s and it had, you know, maybe two dozen items on it. And they said, look, almost everything in this advertisement, your phone now does, you know, whether it's voice recording or video recording or acting as a camera all of those functions are now carried out by these devices in our pockets. 
And that's why we're so addicted to them. They, they're really the center of our lives. Do you have any particular fond memories of shopping at Radio Shack? I remember being a kid and seeing my first Tandy computer that had 256 colors and being totally blown away and feeling like I was looking at the future. And we'd like listeners to share your favorite memories of Radio Shack on our website, please, wqxr.org. Our guest has been Wall Street Journal's technology columnist, Christopher Mims. Thank you very much. Thank you. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.